Welcome to the Mini Wave Live Audio Book Club. It's a beautiful day to be alive here at the Big Recorded Human Civilization. It's a beautiful day for an audio book club, baby. Get yourself comfortable. Let's ready to go deep. Let's ready ourselves. Journey to another world. Cracking baby, welcome to the meaning stream. It's meaning o'clock, and we in here. We got it, we got it, we in here. We're uh, we're slanging meaning, baby, straight to the face. Whoa! Oh, what? Hey! Welcome one and all. Smash that like. Gather around, party people. We're going in. What, what? Vibes must flow, that's right. 207K Stucks 5, the vibes must flow. Bless the vibe making me is coming and going, cleanse the world. Amen. Amen. Hey. How you doing, everybody? Welcome to the, uh, the meaning stream number 199. 199 days and nights of getting after it in a consecutive and righteous fashion. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. How's everyone doing out there? 
It's Audio Book Club Day today. Uh, we did this last week, and everybody said, Hey, Akira, could you do it again? So I said, Okay, we'll do it again. We'll try. We'll see how it goes. It's, you know, the whole thing is still experimental. But uh, what we're doing is we're playing the original audio book recording of Dune by Frank Herbert. And uh, I'm playing, like, suitably cosmic vibes in accompaniment, you know? Feels like it works. Yeah. YouTube Hero Alex is in the house talking about straw poles. I don't even know what a straw pole is. You, you, you pick straws, right? And you decide on stuff. Yeah. The reason for that being that the What's Wave vinyl has been pressed. The vinyl is ready. It is done. And uh, it's on its way across the world right now. It's on its way over here. To Dripping Springs, so that I can write on it, you know, and send it to all you people. Uh, for those of you who who wanted uh, signed stuff, not everybody got signed stuff, but the signed stuff is coming here, and all the North American stuff is coming here. Uh, this stuff was pressed in Poland. They're very good at pressing vinyl in Poland for some reason. Anyway, they're going to start mailing out to Europe uh, soon as well. We'll get we'll have dates and everything for that uh, ASAP, very very shortly. But yeah, they sent over these incredible images that I thought were, uh, I was like, that's got to be Photoshop. That got, but like, no, they're real. And they're incredibly beautiful. But the question is, is do we share visual, do we share images with you? Or do you want to save it until you see it in your hand? The tricky thing about that is everyone will get things at different times, depending on where they are, how fast the local post is, all that sort of thing. So then images are sure to leak online anyway. So. A bit of a conundrum. You know, we haven't done this before. It's the first time we've done it. We just don't know. Um, it's very exciting. You know, to do a new thing. To do no thing. To do a new thing. You know, it's an exciting thing to do. So yeah, I, I want to know what you think about that. I want to know. What, I want to know what you guys think on that matter. You know, this is. Uh, you know, this is this is a wonderful occasion for all of us here. Yeah. Anyway, let's get in the mood. Uh, we're getting ready to go in. On the waves, on the vibes of Dune, the Dune and the waves of vibe. What? What? I got my whole thing confused there. Shouts out to everyone who's locked in this morning. Who was here this morning? This morning was epic. I could barely speak. My voice was so deep and gravelly. It was incredible. Incredible, baby. We had a good time. We went deep. The Reverend Mother must combine the seductive wiles of a courtesan with the untouchable majesty of a virgin goddess, holding these attributes in tension so long as the powers of her youth endure. For when youth and beauty have gone, she will find that the place between, once occupied by tension, has become a wellspring of cunning and resourcefulness. What? Hey, baby. Whoa! Hey, baby. Many have marked the speed with which Muad'Dib learned the necessities of Arrakis. The Bene Gesserit Bring the Arrakis. Snow the basis of this speed. 
For the others, we can say that Muad'Dib learned rapidly because his first training was in how to learn. And the first lesson of all was the basic trust that he could learn. It is shocking to find how many people do not believe they can learn and how many more believe learning to be difficult. What up? What up? Boss. transitory experience it is never consistent it depends in part upon the myth-making imagination of humankind the person who experiences greatness must have a feeling for the myth he is in he must reflect what is projected upon him and he must have a strong sense of the sardonic This is what uncouples him from belief in his own pretensions. The sardonic is all that permits him to move within himself. Without this quality, even occasional greatness will destroy a man. Cracking baby. What up, Fool Killer says that morning show was great. Hey, thanks. Yeah. The Siva Skunks in the house says I'm very appreciative of this book club. Ask a schizophrenic says the spice must flow. Christopher Nanda says thanks to God Emperor for meaning wave. Yes. Yo. We going at. Should. Everybody smash that like. Uh, we need, uh, you know, the likes must be smashed so that people get their notifications. You know, it's been up and down with the notifications lately. A couple days they were really good with it, a couple days really bad. You know? We keep splashing regardless, baby. We get after it. Hey, big to- I want to make a big shout out, by the way, to everyone who was here last night and uh, was here and uh, didn't watch the circus. Uh, did not watch those two creepy guys gang up on um, the president of the United States of America. Like, uh, you know, like two wet bags flapping around an oak tree. <laughs> uh, I didn't watch it either, so I don't know what I'm talking about. I have better things to do. 
you know, I, I occupy within the domain of my uh, power, influence, scope, abilities. So I've been working on mixing the Alan Watts album. That's what I've been doing, baby. Mixing is underway. We're seven songs deep into the mixing now. Or is it six? Six or seven. I think it's seven. I think it's seven. Uh, of 20 tracks, you know, the things are, things are going full pelt, full tilt, full scale, all that. Uh, got Meaning Wave Masterpieces 2 into distribution. And uh, tomorrow I'll have confirmation that everything's good on that, and I can let you know. Shouts out to all these uh, emojis that are flapping around the place. I don't know how that's happening, but I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As Timothy Delgado, he somehow managed to to create some kind of a storm. Continues to drip, continues to splash. Bass cut. Figaro. Figaro. Yeah, that's right. Appreciate you, baby. What else? The TV skunk says, Tells the Makiras. I surely shall. What else have we to do but uh, get after it? Smash that like. All that business we're about to go in on this Dune Book Club. It will be joyful. It will be civilized. It will be beautiful. It will be a wonderful escape. Let your... uh, there's a poll going on. I don't even know how it works, but uh, I suspect it feels like it works. Oh, Alex says the straw poll is complete. I don't even know how it works. How did it work? What are the results? Oh my goodness. So many strange things going on at all times. Well. Great day, woo! Uh, YouTube Hero Alex says, currently the yes is the winning in the straw poll. What's the yes? Yes what? Yes, show pictures, or yes, do not show pictures? Huh? What might it be? Mm. Well, yeah, oh, yes, show pictures. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, make some noise out there if you're ready for this book club shenanigans. If you're ready to, to hear a tale. Who's ready for a tale, brothers and sisters? Shouts out to everyone locked in on the podcast. Uh, Shouts out to everybody locked in live. Shouts out to everyone who's aware, by the way, this is meaning stream number 199. That's a really powerful number. 199. 199 days and nights of getting after it. And that means tomorrow is number 200. So, by Jove, we will... Uh, we will be. <laughs> I should have just took the war off. Bye. Just death to the streak. No streak. 199 streams. Number 200 tomorrow. Yeah. Savage Chill says, Oh, nice. I'm on time. Yes, you are. You are right on time like Black Box in 1991. Or was it 1989? 89. Uh-oh. Chris says Paul is 50-50. What is it? This poll sounds fake. Never trust a poll if it says 50-50. Paul. 
Is it poll or poll? Never trust a poll if it's 50-50. Yo. Where are the undecided voters? We're having a poll right now live, so... Uh, I mean, you could just... Why don't we have a... Okay, we're going to do the International High Five, and then we're going to have Dune Audio Book Club. Uh, let a few more people come in. So we'll do the International High Five, and I'll, I'll get, a, I'll get a, a thing now. Tell me, and give me your reasons. Tell me where you are tonight, where your body is. Anyway, we know your soul is here with us in the MAZ, Meaning Wave Autonomous Zone. But uh, let us know, do you want to see photographs of the What's Wave vinyl before it is shipped? Or do you want to wait for it to start arriving? And then pictures to leak on a Discord or something like that. Pictures now or pictures... Well, pictures... We, 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 I guess we would do it tomorrow. I mean, 200, that's a good time to do it. Pictures now or later and why? Now and later or why? Brandon Schill says, I'm trying hard to convince a friend of mine to give you a try, but they dislike Jordan Peterson and JVP. Uh, do they like Alan Watts? Uh, do they like any of the other lots of people? Or are they like, I couldn't possibly like anything that's associated with those people. Yeah. Triad says, Paul is a politician. Dylan Thomas says, I just want my MAZ shirt. Have you ordered one? If you've ordered one, it'll be on its way. Hurrah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shouts out to John Hannibal Smith's deleted message. <laughs> Yo. What up, Christopher Hernandez? Tomorrow never comes. Release the pictures. Richard Young says, pictures tomorrow would be cool. I think it might convince more people to buy the vinyl. Well, they can't. That's what's funny. It's not funny. It's tragic. It's tragic. They can't buy the vinyl. The, the, uh, the opportunity to buy the vinyl is done. It was the, you know, it was part of the campaign. The campaign is over. They can't buy no vinyl now. Beamy, love popcorn. Yeah, Beamy, love popcorn. Be Lee, play Minecraft. Beamy, Roof Moon. Beamy, Ham on Rye. Ooh, that's a nice one. Yeah. Goltron era Akira the Dawn is one of my favorite Akira the Dawns. Gotta say, Goltron era Akira the Dawn. Uh, with all of his synth trapping. I really do like that stuff. Shouts out to him. Shouts out to him. Uh, Dylan Thomas says, I have. It's on its way, is he? Yeah, I got another one on the way. I got another sample one to see if it works. I'm sure it will. Uh, white on black. Ooh. Ooh, ooh. Triode says, now, my patience has limits. LL Cool J says, Terrence McKenna is pretty sweet. He's the standard liberal. Yeah, David Foster Wallace. Noam Chomsky. Naval Ravi Kant. Ravi Kant, more like. Yeah. YouTube Hero Alex, 22 bowls, votes in the poll. Very, very mathematical, 22. Richard Young says, uh, then it will make them wish they'd bought the vinyl quite. Yes, they will. Chris says, keep it a surprise. Cool Fires says, ready for the ride. Triad said, my wife could not believe I skipped the brawl yesterday. Proud of you. Dylan Summer says, damn, I wanted white on black. Well, you can always get a white on black if it uh, works and we put it on sale. And then you'll have two. They go with different outfits and you'll be happy. Strongcool28 is finally here. Proud of you, baby. Get after it. Dylan Thomas says, I got the JBP tank top too. Key. Proud of you. Shout out to everyone copying that epic new merch. If you want to check out the merch, go to meaningwave.com and uh, check out the new merch collections. We've got a new JBP Wave Genesis collection that is incredibly fire. It is incredibly suave. It is incredibly suave mente. 
LL Cool J says, I'm new to Meaning Wave Mystery, Kira the Don. Sir, how do I pre-order next time? Well, we'll be having a new campaign very soon. And uh, you will you will know. You will know, baby. You'll be here. And you'll know. And, you know, we're refining it as we go along. The process. And how we do it. But, yeah, there'll be a new vinyl campaign for a new record. And an old record. In the way, similar to how we did the last one. We're going to make a few available, you know, and that way we'll keep doing that. We can make everything available ultimately. But really it's a big part of it is just working out what people want and how many people want it and how many to get pressed and all that sort of thing. Because it's an expensive business and it's, uh, you know, it's a complicated business. It involves lots of moving parts, lots of, but it is very rewarding, darling. It's very epic when you get the vinyl in your hand and, and it works, you know, your, your needle scratches the groove and it makes a sound and it sounds so thick and lush and, Warm and beautiful baby is very epic. Yeah. In Man's Life Sanity says, Sad I can't get the vinyl anymore, but I've got a good feeling about What's 2K. Well, What's 2K is the gift that everybody got from the campaign. Because the stretch goal on the campaign was, okay, if we hit 20K, loads of people have been asking for it. We'll remake uh, What's Wave 2, the mix, as a full-blown album and put it on all streaming platforms for everybody to enjoy. So that's a gift that those people who uh, who were a part of that campaign gave to the world, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Hey. Hey. All right, who's ready? Who's ready for some epicness? Let's have one more Dune Wave track and then we'll get after it. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Uh, 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 uh,
Yeah, it is, baby. All right, let's get it. Make some noise, baby. Make some noise. Shouts out to man like Luke. Only I will remain. Appreciate you, baby. All right, let's take it back. Track us. seductive wiles of a courtesan with the untouchable majesty of a virgin goddess, holding these attributes in tension so long as the powers of her youth endure. For when youth and beauty have gone, she will find that the place between, once occupied by tension, has become a wellspring of cunning and resourcefulness. From Muadib Family Commentaries by the Princess Irulan. Well, Jessica, what have you to say for yourself? asked the Reverend Mother. It was near sunset at Castle Caladan on the day of Paul's ordeal. The two women were alone in Jessica's morning room while Paul waited in the adjoining soundproofed meditation chamber. Jessica stood facing the south windows. She saw, and yet did not see, the evening's banked colors across meadow and river. She heard, and yet did not hear, the Reverend Mother's question. There had been another ordeal once, so many years ago. A skinny girl with hair the color of bronze, her body tortured by the winds of puberty, had entered the study of the Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohium, Proctor Superior of the Bene Gesserit School on Wallach 9. Jessica looked down at her right hand, flexed the fingers, remembering... The pain, the terror, the anger. Poor Paul, she whispered. I asked you a question, Jessica. The old woman's voice was snappish, demanding. What? Oh. Jessica tore her attention away from the past, faced the Reverend Mother, who sat with back to the stone wall between the two west windows. What do you want me to say? What do I want you to say? What do I want you to say? The old voice carried a tone of cruel mimicry. So I had a son, Jessica flared. And she knew she was being goaded into this anger deliberately. You were told to bear only daughters to the Atreides. It meant so much to him, Jessica pleaded. And you in your pride thought you could produce the Kwisatz Haderach. Jessica lifted her chin. I sensed the possibility. You thought only of your duke's desire for a son, the old woman snapped. And his desires don't figure in this. An Atreides' daughter could have been wed to a Harkonnen heir and sealed the breach. You've hopelessly complicated matters. We may lose both bloodlines now. You're not infallible, Jessica said. She braved the steady stare from the old eyes. Presently the old woman muttered, What's done is done. I vowed never to regret my decision. 
Jessica said. How noble, the Reverend Mother sneered. No regrets. We shall see when you're a fugitive with a price on your head and every man's hand turned against you to seek your life and the life of your son. Jessica paled. Is there no alternative? Alternative? A Bene Gesserit should ask that. I ask only what you see in the future with your superior abilities. I see in the future what I've seen in the past. You well know the pattern of our affairs, Jessica. The race knows its own mortality and fears stagnation of its heredity. It's in the bloodstream, the urge to mingle genetic strains without plan. The Imperium, the Chome Company, all the great houses, they are but bits of flotsam in the path of the flood. Chome, Jessica muttered. I suppose it's already decided how they'll redivide the spoils of Arrakis. What is Chome but the weather vane of our times? The old woman said. The Emperor and his friends now command 59.65% of the Chom Directorship's votes. Certainly they smell profits. And likely, as others smell those same profits, his voting strength will increase. This is the pattern of history, girl. That's certainly what I need right now, Jessica said. A review of history. Don't be facetious, girl. You know as well as I do what forces surround us. We've a three-point civilization. The Imperial Household, balanced against the federated great houses of the Lancerat. And between them, the Guild, with its damnable monopoly on interstellar transport. In politics, the tripod is the most unstable of all structures. It'd be bad enough without the complication of a feudal trade culture which turns its back on most science. Jessica spoke bitterly chips in the path of the flood. And this chip here, this is the Duke Leto, and this one's his son, and this one's... Oh, shut up, girl. You entered this with full knowledge of the delicate edge you walked. I am Bene Gesserit. I exist only to serve, Jessica quoted. Truth, the old woman said. And all we can hope for now is to prevent this from erupting into general conflagration, to salvage what we can of the key bloodlines. Jessica closed her eyes, feeling tears press out beneath the lids. She fought down the inner trembling, the outer trembling, the uneven breathing, the ragged pulse, the sweating of the palms. Presently, she said, I'll pay for my own mistake. And your son will pay with you. I'll shield him as well as I'm able. Shield, the old woman snapped. You well know the weakness there. Shield your son too much, Jessica, and he'll not grow strong enough to fulfill any destiny. Jessica turned away, looked out the window at the gathering darkness. Is it really that terrible, this planet of Arrakis? Bad enough, but not all bad. The Missionaria Protectiva has been in there and softened it up somewhat. The Reverend Mother heaved herself to her feet, straightened a fold in her gown. Call the boy in here. I must be leaving soon. Must you? The old woman's voice softened. Jessica, girl, I wish I could stand in your place and take your sufferings. But each of us must make her own path. I know. You're as dear to me as any of my own daughters. 
but I cannot let that interfere with duty. I understand the necessity. What you did, Jessica, and why you did it, we both know. But kindness forces me to tell you there's little chance your lad will be the Bene Gesserit totality. You mustn't let yourself hope too much. Jessica shook tears from the corners of her eyes. It was an angry gesture. You make me feel like a little girl again, reciting my first lesson. She forced the words out. Humans must never submit to animals. A dry sob shook her. In a low voice, she said, I've been so lonely. It should be one of the tests, the old woman said. Humans are almost always lonely. Now summon the boy. He's had a long, frightening day, but he's had time to think and remember, and I must ask the other questions about these dreams of his. Jessica nodded, went to the door of the meditation chamber, opened it. Paul, come in now, please. Paul emerged with a stubborn slowness. He stared at his mother as though she were a stranger. Weariness veiled his eyes when he glanced at the Reverend Mother, but this time he nodded to her, the nod one gives an equal. He heard his mother close the door behind him. Young man, the old woman said, let's return to this dream business. What do you want? Do you dream every night? Not dreams worth remembering. I can't remember every dream, but some are worth remembering and some aren't. How do you know the difference? I just know it. The old woman glanced at Jessica, back to Paul. What did you dream last night? Was it worth remembering? Yes. Paul closed his eyes. I dreamed a cavern and water and a girl there, very skinny with big eyes. Her eyes are all blue, no whites in them. I talk to her and tell her about you, about seeing the Reverend Mother on Caladan. Paul opened his eyes. And the thing you tell this strange girl about seeing me, did it happen today? Paul thought about this then. Yes. I tell the girl you came and put a stamp of strangeness on me. Stamp of strangeness. The old woman breathed. And again she shot a glance at Jessica, returned her attention to Paul. Tell me truly now, Paul. Do you often have dreams of things that happen afterward exactly as you dreamed them? Yes. And I've dreamed about that girl before. Oh? You know her? I will know her. Tell me about her. Again, Paul closed his eyes. We're in a little place in some rocks where it's sheltered. It's almost night, but it's hot, and I can see patches of sand out of an opening in the rocks. We're waiting for something, for me to go meet some people, and she's frightened but trying to hide it from me, and I'm excited. And she says, tell me about the waters of your homeworld, Usul. Paul opened his eyes. Isn't that strange? My homeworld's Caladan. I've never even heard of a planet called Uso. Is there more to this dream? Jessica prompted. Yes, but maybe she was calling me Uso, Paul said. I just thought of that. Again he closed his eyes. 
She asks me to tell her about the waters, and I take her hand, and I say, I'll tell her a poem, and I tell her the poem, but I have to explain some of the words, like beach and surf and seaweed and seagulls. What poem? the Reverend Mother asked. Paul opened his eyes. It's just one of Gurney Halleck's tone poems for sad times. Behind Paul, Jessica began to recite. I remember salt smoke from a beach fire and shadows under the pines, solid, clean, fixed. Seagulls perched at the tip of land, white upon green. And a wind comes through the pines to sway the shadows. The seagulls spread their wings, lift and fill the sky with screeches. And I hear the wind blowing across our beach and the surf. And I see that our fire has scorched the seaweed. That's the one, Paul said. The old woman stared at Paul, then, Young man, as a proctor of the Bene Gesserit, I seek the Kwisatz Haderach, the male who truly can become one of us. Your mother sees this possibility in you, but she sees with the eyes of a mother. Possibility I see too, but no more. She fell silent, and Paul saw that she wanted him to speak. He waited her out. Presently she said, As you will, then. You've depths in you that I'll grant. May I go now? he asked. Don't you want to hear what the Reverend Mother can tell you about the Kwisatz Haderach? Jessica asked. She said those who tried for it died. But I can help you with a few hints at why they failed, the Reverend Mother said. She talks of hints, Paul thought. She doesn't really know anything. And he said, Hint then. And be damned to me? She smiled wryly, a crisscross of wrinkles in the old face. Very well. That which submits rules. He felt astonishment. She was talking about such elementary things as tension within meaning. Did she think his mother had taught him nothing at all? That's a hint, he asked. We're not here to bandy words or quibble over their meaning, the old woman said. The willow submits to the wind and prospers until one day it is many willows. A wall against the wind. This is the willow's purpose. Paul stared at her. She said purpose, and he felt the word buffet him, reinfecting him with terrible purpose. He experienced a sudden anger at her fatuous old witch with her mouth full of platitudes. You think I could be this Kwisatz Haderach? He said, you talk about me, but you haven't said one thing about what we can do to help my father. I've heard you talking to my mother. You talk as though my father were dead. Well, he isn't. If there were a thing to be done for him, we'd have done it, the old woman growled. We may be able to salvage you. Doubtful, but possible. But for your father, nothing. When you've learned to accept that as a fact, you've learned a real Bene Gesserit lesson. Paul saw how the words 
shook his mother. He glared at the old woman. How could she say such a thing about his father? What made her so sure? His mind seethed with resentment. The Reverend Mother looked at Jessica. You've been training him in the way. I've seen the signs of it. I'd have done the same in your shoes, and devil take the rules. Jessica nodded. Now I caution you, said the old woman, to ignore the regular order of training. His own safety requires the voice. He already has a good start in it, but we both know how much more he needs, and that desperately. She stepped close to Paul, stared down at him. Goodbye, young human. I hope you make it. But if you don't, well, we shall yet succeed. Once more, she looked at Jessica. A flicker sign of understanding passed between them. Then the old woman swept from the room, her robes hissing with not another backward glance. The room and its occupants already were shut from her thoughts. But Jessica had caught one glimpse of the Reverend Mother's face as she turned away. There had been tears on the seamed cheeks. The tears were more unnerving than any other word or sign that had passed between them this day. You have read that Muad'Dib had no playmates his own age on Caladan. The dangers were too great, but Muad'Dib did have wonderful companion teachers. There was Gurney Halleck, the troubadour warrior. You will sing some of Gurney's songs as you read along in this book. There was Thufar Hawat, the old Mentet master of assassins, who struck fear even into the heart of the Padishah Emperor. There were Duncan Idaho, the swordmaster of the Ginas, Dr. Wellington Yui, a name black in treachery, but bright in knowledge. The Lady Jessica, who guided her son in the Bene Gesserit way. And, of course, the Duke Leto, whose qualities as a father have long been overlooked. From A Child's History of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan. Thufur Howard slipped into the training room of Castle Caladan, closed the door softly. He stood there a moment, feeling old and tired and storm-leathered. His left leg ached where it had been slashed once in the service of the old duke. Three generations of them now, he thought. He stared across the big room, bright with the light of noon pouring through the skylights, saw the boy seated with back to the door, intent on papers and charts spread across an L table. How many times must I tell that lad never to settle himself with his back to a door? Howard cleared his throat. Paul remained bent over his studies. The cloud shadow passed over the skylights. Again, Howard cleared his throat. Paul straightened, spoke without turning. I know, I'm sitting with my back to a door. Howard suppressed a smile strode across the room. Paul looked up at the grizzled old man who stopped at a corner of the table. Howard's eyes were two pools of alertness in a dark and deeply seamed face. I heard you coming down the hall, Paul said, and I heard you open the door. The sounds I make could be imitated. I'd know the difference. He might add that, 
how I thought. That witch mother of his is giving him the deep training, certainly. I wonder what her precious school thinks of that. Maybe that's why they sent the old proctor here to whip our dear Lady Jessica into line. Howard pulled up a chair across from Paul, sat down facing the door. He did it pointedly, leaned back and studied the room. It struck him as an odd place, suddenly, a stranger place, with most of its hardware already gone off to Arrakis. Training table remained, and a fencing mirror with its crystal prisms quiescent. The target dummy beside it, patched and padded, looking like an ancient foot soldier maimed and battered in the wars. There stand I, Howat thought. Thufir, what are you thinking? Paul asked. Howat looked at the boy. I was thinking we'll all be out of here soon and likely never see the place again. Does that make you sad? Sad? Nonsense. Parting with friends is a sadness. A place is only a place. He glanced at the charts on the table. And Arrakis is just another place. Did my father send you up to test me? Howard scowled. The boy had such observing ways about him. He nodded. You're thinking it'd have been nicer if he'd come up himself. But you must know how busy he is. He'll be along later. I've been studying about the storms on Arrakis. The storms, I see. They sound pretty bad. That's too cautious a word, bad. Those storms build up across six or seven thousand kilometers of flatlands. Feed on anything that can give them a push. Coriolis force, other storms, anything that has an ounce of energy in it. They can blow up to 700 kilometers an hour, loaded with everything loose that's in their way. Sand, dust, everything. They can eat flesh off bones and etch the bones to slivers. Why don't they have weather control? Arrakis has special problems. Costs are higher, and there'd be maintenance and the like. The Guild wants a dreadful high price for satellite control, and your father's house isn't one of the big rich ones, lad. You know that. Have you ever seen the Fremen? The lad's mind is darting all over today. How I thought. Like as not, I have seen them, he said. There's little to tell them from the folk of the Graben and Sink. They all wear those great flowing robes, and they stink to heaven in any closed space. It's from those suits they wear, call them still suits, that reclaim the body's own water. Paul swallowed, suddenly aware of the moisture in his mouth, remembering a dream of thirst. That people could want so for water, they had to recycle their body moisture, struck him with a feeling of desolation. Water's precious there, he said. Howard nodded, thinking, perhaps I'm doing it, getting across to him the importance of this planet as an enemy. It's madness to go in there without that caution in our minds. Paul looked up at the skylight, aware that it had begun to rain. He saw the spreading wetness on the grey meta-glass. Water, he said. You'll learn a great concern for water, Howard said. As the Duke's son, you'll never want for it, but you'll see the pressures of thirst all around you. Paul wet his lips with his tongue, thinking back to the day a week ago and the ordeal with the Reverend Mother. 
She too had said something about water starvation. You'll learn about the funeral plains, she'd said, about the wilderness that is empty, the wasteland where nothing lives except the spice and the sandworms. You'll stain your eye pits to reduce the sun glare. Shelter will mean a hollow out of the wind and hidden from view. You'll ride upon your own two feet without thopter or ground car or mount. And Paul had been caught more by her tone, sing-song and wavering, than by her words. When you live upon Arrakis, she had said, Chala, the land is empty. The moons will be your friends, the sun your enemy. Paul had sensed his mother come up beside him, away from her post, guarding the door. She had looked at the Reverend Mother and asked, Do you see no hope, Your Reverence? Not for the Father. And the old woman had waved Jessica to silence, looked down at Paul. Grave this on your memory, lad. The world is supported by four things. She held up four big-knuckled fingers. The learning of the wise... The justice of the great, the prayers of the righteous, and the valor of the brave. But all of these are as nothing, she closed her fingers into a fist, without a ruler who knows the art of ruling. Make that the science of your tradition. A week had passed since that day with the Reverend Mother. Her words were only now beginning to come into full register. Now, sitting in the training room with Thufur Hawat, Paul felt a sharp pang of fear. He looked across at the Mentat's puzzled frown. Where were you wool-gathering that time? Hawat asked. Did you meet the Reverend Mother? That truth-sayer witch from the Imperium? Hawat's eyes quickened with interest. I met her. She... Paul hesitated found that he couldn't tell Hawat about the ordeal. The inhibitions went deep. Yes? What did she? Paul took two deep breaths. She said a thing. He closed his eyes, calling up the words, and when he spoke, his voice unconsciously took on some of the old woman's tone. You, Paul Atreides, descendant of kings, son of a duke, you must learn to rule. It's something none of your ancestors learned. Paul opened his eyes and said, That made me angry. And I said, My father rules an entire planet. And she said, He's losing it. And I said, My father was getting a richer planet. And she said, He'll lose that one too. And I wanted to run and warn my father, but she said he'd already been warned by you, by mother, by many people. True enough. Hawat muttered. Then why are we going? Paul demanded. Because the Emperor ordered it. And because there's hope in spite of what that witch spy said. What else spouted from this ancient fountain of wisdom? Paul looked down at his right hand, clenched into a fist beneath the table. Slowly he willed the muscles to relax. She put some kind of hold on me, he thought. How? She asked me to tell her what it is to rule, Paul said, and I said that one commands, and she said I had some unlearning to do. 
she hit a mark there right enough. Howard thought. He nodded for Paul to continue. She said a ruler must learn to persuade and not to compel. She said he must lay the best coffee hearth to attract the finest men. How'd she figure your father attracted men like Duncan and Gurney? Howard asked. Paul shrugged. Then she said a good ruler has to learn his world's language, that it's different for every world, and I thought she meant they didn't speak Gallic on Arrakis, but she said that wasn't it at all. She said she meant the language of the rocks and growing things, the language you don't hear just with your ears. And I said that's what Dr. Yue calls the mystery of life. Howard chuckled. How'd that sit with her? I think she got mad. She said the mystery of life isn't a problem to solve, but a reality to experience. So I quoted the first law of Mentat at her. A process cannot be understood by stopping it. Understanding must move with the flow of the process, must join it and flow with it. That seemed to satisfy her. He seems to be getting over it, Howard thought, but that old witch frightened him. Why did she do it? Thufir, Paul said. Will Arrakis be as bad as she said? Nothing could be that bad, Howard said, and forced a smile. Take those Fremen, for example, the renegade people of the desert. By first approximation analysis, I can tell you there are many, many more of them than the Imperium suspects. People live there, lad. A great many people, and... Howard put a sinewy finger beside his eye. They hate Harkonnens with a bloody passion. You must not breathe a word of this lad. I tell you only as your father's helper. My father has told me of Seleucus Secundus, Paul said. Do you know, Thufir, it sounds much like Arrakis. Perhaps not quite as bad, but much like it. We do not really know of Seleucus Secundus today, Howard said. Only what it was like long ago, mostly. But what is known, you're right on that score. Will the Fremen help us? It's a possibility. Howard stood up. I leave today for Arrakis. Meanwhile, you take care of yourself for an old man who's fond of you, eh? Come around here like the good lad and sit facing the door. It's not that I think there's any danger in the castle. It's just a habit I want you to form. Paul got to his feet, moved around the table. You're going today? Today it is, and you'll be following tomorrow. Next time we meet, it'll be on the soil of your new world. He gripped Paul's right arm at the bicep. Keep your knife arm free, eh? And your shield at full charge. He released the arm, patted Paul's shoulder, whirled, and strode quickly to the door. Thufer, Paul called. Howard turned, standing in the open doorway. Don't sit with your back to any doors, Paul said. A grin spread across the seamed old face. That I won't, lad. Depend on it. And he was gone, shutting the door softly behind. Paul sat down where Howard had been, straightened the papers. One more day here, he thought. He looked around the room. We're leaving. The idea of departure was suddenly more real to him than it had ever been before. 
He recalled another thing the old woman had said about a world being the sum of many things. The people, the dirt, the growing things, the moons, the tides, the suns, the unknown sum called nature. A vague summation without any sense of the now. And he wondered, what is the now? The door across from Paul banged open, and an ugly lump of a man lurched through it, preceded by a handful of weapons. Well, Gurney Halleck, Paul called. Are you the new weapons master? Halleck kicked the door shut with one heel. You'd rather I came to play games, I know, he said. He glanced around the room, noting that Howard's men already had been over it, checking, making it safe for a duke's heir. The subtle code signs were all around. Paul watched the rolling, ugly man set himself back in motion, veer toward the training table with the load of weapons, saw the nine-string balisette slung over Gurney's shoulder with a multi-pick woven through the strings near the head of the fingerboard. Halleck dropped the weapons on the exercise table, lined them up, the rakers, the bodkins, the kinjals, the slow pellet stunners, the shield belts. The ink-vine scar along his jawline writhed as he turned, casting a smile across the room. So you don't even have a good morning for me, you young imp, Halleck said. And what barb did you think in old Howard? He passed me in the hall like a man running to his enemy's funeral. Paul grinned. Of all his father's men, he liked Gurney Halleck best. Knew the man's moods and deviltry, his humors, and thought of him more as a friend than as a hired sword. Halleck swung the balisette off his shoulder, began tuning it. If you won't talk, you won't. He said. Paul stood, advanced across the room, calling out, Well, Gurney, do we come prepared for music when it's fighting time? So it's sass for our elders today, Halleck said. He tried a chord on the instrument, nodded. Where's Duncan Idaho? Paul asked. Isn't he supposed to be teaching me weaponry? Duncan's gone to lead the second wave onto Arrakis, Halleck said. All you have left is poor Gurney, who's fresh out of fight and spoiling for music. He struck another chord, listened to it, smiled. And it was decided in council that you being such a poor fighter, we'd best teach you the music trade, so as you won't waste your life entire. Maybe you'd better sing me a lay then, Paul said. I want to be sure how not to do it. Aha, Gurney laughed. And he swung into Galatian girls, his multi-pick a blur over the strings as he sang. Ah, oh, the Galatian girls will do it for pearls, and the Arakeen for water. But if you desire dames like consuming flames, try a Caladanin daughter. Not bad for such a poor hand with a pick, Paul said. But if my mother heard you singing a body like that in the castle, she'd have your ears on the outer wall for decoration. Gurney pulled at his left ear. Poor decoration, too, they having been bruised so much listening at keyholes, while a young lad I know practiced some strange ditties on his balisette. So you've forgotten what it's like to find sand in your bed? Paul said. He pulled a shield belt from the table, buckled it fast around his waist. Then let's fight. Halleck's eyes went wide in mock surprise. So... It was your wicked hand did that deed. Guard yourself today, young master. Guard yourself. He grabbed up a rapier, laced the air with it. I'm a hell fiend out for revenge. Paul lifted the companion rapier, 
bent it in his hands, stood in the agil, one foot forward. He let his manner go solemn in a comic imitation of Dr. Yui. What a dolt my father sends me for weaponry, Paul intoned. This doltish gurney Halleck has forgotten the first lesson for a fighting man armed and shielded. Paul snapped the force button at his waist, felt the crinkled skin tingling of the defensive field at his forehead and down his back, heard external sounds take on characteristic shield-filtered flatness. In shield fighting, one moves fast on defense, slow on attack, Paul said. Attack has the sole purpose of tricking the opponent into a misstep, setting him up for the attack sinister. The shield turns the fast blow, admits the slow kinjal. Paul snapped up the rapier, fainted fast, and whipped it back for a slow thrust timed to enter a shield's mindless defenses. Halleck watched the action, turned at the last minute to let the blunted blade pass his chest. Speed excellent, he said, but you are wide open for an underhanded counter with a slip tip. Paul stepped back, chagrined. I should whap your backside for such carelessness, Halleck said. He lifted a naked kinjar from the table and held it up. This, in the hand of an enemy, can let out your life's blood. You're an apt pupil. None better, but I've warned you that not even in play do you let a man inside your guard with death in his hand. I guess I'm not in the mood for it today, Paul said. Mood? Halleck's voice betrayed his outrage even through the shield's filtering. What has mood to do with it? You fight when the necessity arises, no matter the mood. Mood's a thing for cattle, or making love, or playing the balisette. It's not for fighting. I'm sorry, Gurney. You're not sorry enough. Halleck activated his own shield, crouched with Kinjal outthrust in left hand, the rapier poised high in his right. Now I say guard yourself for true. He leaped high to one side, then forward, pressing a furious attack. Paul fell back, parrying. He felt the field crackling as shield edges touched and repelled each other, sensed the electric tingling of the contact along his skin. What's gotten into Gurney? He asked himself. He's not faking this. Paul moved his left hand, dropped his bodkin into his palm from its wrist sheath. You see a need for an extra blade, eh? Halleck grunted. Is this betrayal? Paul wondered. Surely not Gurney. Around the room they fought, thrust and parry, feint and counterfeit. The air within their shield bubbles grew stale from the demands on it that the slow interchange along barrier edges couldn't replenish. With each new shield contact, the smell of ozone grew stronger. Paul continued to back, but now he directed his retreat toward the exercise table. If I can turn him beside the table, I'll show him a trick, Paul thought. One more step, Gurney. Halleck took a step. Paul directed a parry downward, turned, saw Halleck's rapier catch against the table's edge. Paul flung himself aside, thrust high with rapier, and came in across Halleck's neckline with the buck. He stopped the blade an inch from the jugular. Is this what you seek? Paul whispered. Look down, lad. Gurney panted. Paul obeyed. Saw Halleck's kinjal thrust under the table's edge, the tip almost touching Paul's groin. We'd have joined each other in death, Halleck said. But I'll admit you fought some better when pressed to it. You seemed to get the mood. And he grinned wolfishly the ink-vine scar rippling along his jaw. The way you came at me, Paul said, would you really have drawn my blood? Halleck withdrew the kinjal, straightened. If you'd fought one whit beneath your abilities, I'd have scratched your good one, a scar you'd remember. 
I'll not have my favorite pupil fall to the first Harkonnen tramp who happens along. Paul deactivated his shield, leaned on the table to catch his breath. I deserve that, Gurney. But it would have angered my father if you'd hurt me. I'll not have you punished for my failing. As to that, Alex said, it was my failing too. And you needn't worry about a training scar or two. You're lucky you have so few. As to your father, the Duke could punish me only if I failed to make a first-class fighting man out of you. And I'd have been failing there if I hadn't explained the fallacy in this mood thing you've suddenly developed. Paul straightened, slipped his bodkin back into its wrist sheath. It's not exactly play we do here, Alex said. Paul nodded. He felt a sense of wonder at the uncharacteristic seriousness in Alex's manner, the sobering intensity. He looked at the beet-colored ink-bind scar on the man's jaw, remembering the story of how it had been put there by Beast Raban in a Harkonnen slave pit on Gedi Prime. And Paul felt a sudden shame that he had doubted Halleck even for an instant. It occurred to Paul then that the making of Halleck's scar had been accompanied by pain, a pain as intense perhaps as that inflicted by a reverend mother. He thrust this thought aside. It chilled their world. I guess I did hope for some play today, Paul said. Things are so serious around here lately. Halleck turned away to hide his emotions. Something burned in his eyes. There was pain in him. Like a blister, all that was left of some lost yesterday that time had pruned off him. How soon this child must assume his manhood, Halleck thought. How soon he must read that form within his mind, that contract of brutal caution, to enter the necessary fact on the necessary line. Please list your next of kin. Halleck spoke without turning. I sense the play in your lad, and I'd like nothing better than to join in it, but this no longer can be play. Tomorrow we go to Arrakis. Arrakis is real. The Harkonnens are real. Paul touched his forehead with his rapier blade held vertical. Halleck turned, saw the salute, and acknowledged it with a nod. He gestured to the practice dummy. Now we'll work on your timing. Let me see you catch that thing sinister. I'll control it from over here where I can have a full view of the action. And I warn you, I'll be trying new counters today. There's a warning you'd not get from a real enemy. Paul stretched up on his toes to relieve his muscles. He felt solemn with the sudden realization that his life had become filled with swift changes. He crossed to the dummy, slapped the switch on its chest with his rapier tip, and felt the defensive field forcing his blade away. On guard! Halleck called, and the dummy pressed the attack. Paul activated his shield, parried, and countered. Halleck watched as he manipulated the controls. His mind seemed to be in two parts. One alert to the needs of the training fight, and the other wandering in fly buzz. I'm the well-trained fruit tree, he thought, full of well-trained feelings and abilities and all of them grafted onto me, all bearing for someone else to pick. For some reason he recalled his younger sister, her elfin face so clear in his mind. But she was dead now, in a pleasure house for Harkonnen troops. She had loved pansies or... Was it Daisy's? He couldn't remember. It bothered him that he couldn't remember. Paul countered a slow swing of the dummy, 
brought up his left hand on Tretisse. The clever little devil, Halleck thought, intent now on Paul's interweaving hand motions. He's been practicing and studying on his own. That's not Duncan's style, and it's certainly nothing I've taught him. This thought only added to Halleck's sadness. I'm infected by mood, he thought. And he began to wonder about Paul. If the boy ever listened fearfully to his pillow throbbing in the night. If wishes were fishes, we'd all cast nets, he murmured. It was his mother's expression, and he always used it when he felt the blackness of tomorrow on him. Then he thought what an odd expression that was to be taking to a planet that had never known seas or fishes. You, Wellington. Standard, 10,082 to 10,191. Medical doctor of the Souk School. Graduated, standard, 10,112. Married, Juana Marcus, Bene Gesserit. Standard 10,092 to 10,186. Chiefly noted as betrayer of Duke Leto Atreides. See also Bibliography, Appendix 7, The Imperial Conditioning and Betrayal. From Dictionary of Moadib by the Princess Irulan. Although he heard Dr. Yui enter the training room, noting the stiff deliberation of the man's pace, Paul remained stretched out face down on the exercise table where the masseuse had left him. He felt deliciously relaxed after the workout with Gurney Halleck. You do look comfortable, said Yui in his calm, high-pitched voice. Paul raised his head saw the man's stick figure standing several paces away, took in at a glance the wrinkled black clothing, the square block of a head with purple lips and drooping moustache, the diamond tattoo of imperial conditioning on his forehead, the long black hair caught in the Sook School's silver ring at the left shoulder. "'You'll be happy to hear we haven't time for regular lessons today,' Yui said. "'Your father will be along presently.' Paul sat up. However, I've arranged for you to have a film book viewer and several lessons during the crossing to Arrakis. Oh. Paul began pulling on his clothes. He felt excitement that his father would be coming. They had spent so little time together since the Emperor's command to take over the fief of Arrakis. Yui crossed to the L table, thinking, How the boy has filled out these past few months. Such a waste. Oh, such a sad waste. And he reminded himself, I must not falter. What I do is done to be certain my Wana no longer can be hurt by the Harkonnen beasts. Paul joined him at the table, buttoning his jacket. What'll I be studying on the way across? Ah, the tyrannic life forms of Arrakis. The planet seems to have opened its arms to certain tyrannic life forms. It's not clear how... I must seek out the planetary ecologist when we arrive, a Dr. Kynes, and offer my help in the investigation. And Yui thought, what am I saying? I play the hypocrite even with myself. 
Will there be something on the Fremen? Paul asked. The Fremen? Huey drummed his fingers on the table, caught Paul staring at the nervous motion, withdrew his hand. Maybe you have something on the whole Arakeen population, Paul said. Yes, to be sure, Huey said. There are two general separations of the people. Fremen, they are one group, and the others are the people of the Graben, the Sink, and the Pan. There's some intermarriage, I'm told. The women of Pan and Sink villages prefer Fremen husbands. Their men prefer Fremen wives. They have a saying, Polish comes from the cities, wisdom from the desert. Do you have pictures of them? I'll see what I can get you. The most interesting feature, of course, is their eyes, totally blue. No whites in them. Mutation? No, it's linked to saturation of the blood with melange. The Fremen must be brave to live at the edge of that desert. By all accounts, Huey said, they compose poems to their knives. Their women are as fierce as the men. Even Fremen children are violent and dangerous. You'll not be permitted to mingle with them, I dare say. Paul stared at Huey, finding in these few glimpses of the Fremen a power of words that caught his entire attention. What a people to win as allies. And the worms? Paul asked. What? I'd like to study more about the sandworms. Ah, to be sure. I have a film book on a small specimen only 110 meters long and 22 meters in diameter. It was taken in the northern latitudes. Worms of more than 400 meters in length have been recorded by reliable witnesses. And there's reason to believe even larger ones exist. Paul glanced down at a conical projection chart of the northern Arakeen latitudes spread on the table. The desert belt and south polar regions are marked uninhabitable. Is it the worms? And the storms? But any place can be made habitable. If it's economically feasible, Yui said. Arrakis has many costly perils. He smoothed his drooping mustache. Your father will be here soon. Before I go, I have a gift for you, something I came across in packing. He put an object on the table between them, black, oblong, no larger than the end of Paul's thumb. Paul looked at it. Huey noted how the boy didn't reach for it and thought, how cautious he is. It's a very old orange Catholic Bible made for space travelers. Not a film book, but actually printed on filament paper. It has its own magnifier and electrostatic charge system. He picked it up, demonstrated the book is held closed by the charge, which forces against spring-locked covers. You press the edge, thus, and the pages you've selected repel each other and the book opens. It's so small, but it has 1,800 pages. You press the edge, thus, and so, and the charge moves ahead one page at a time as you read. Never touch the actual pages with your fingers. The filament tissue is too delicate. He closed the book handed it to Paul. Try it. Huey watched Paul work the page adjustment, thought, I salve my own conscience. I give him the surcease of religion before betraying him. Thus may I say to myself that he has gone where I cannot go. This must have been made before film books, Paul said. It's quite old. Let it be our secret, eh? Your parents might think it too valuable for one so young. And Yui thought, 
His mother would surely wonder at my motives. Well, Paul closed the book, held it in his hand. If it's so valuable... Indulge an old man's whim, Yui said. It was given to me when I was very young. And he thought, I must catch his mind as well as his cupidity. Open it to 467 Kalima, where it says, From water does all life begin. There's a slight notch at the edge of the cover to mark the place. Paul felt the cover, detected two notches, one shallower than the other. He pressed the shallower one, and the book spread open on his palm, its magnifier sliding into place. Read it aloud, Yui said. Paul wet his lips with his tongue, read, Think you of the fact that a deaf person cannot hear? Then what deafness may we not all possess? What senses do we lack that we cannot see and cannot hear another world all around us? What is there around us that we cannot... Stop it! Yui barked. Paul broke off, stared at him. Yui closed his eyes, fought to regain composure. What perversity caused the book to open at my Wana's favorite passage? He opened his eyes, saw Paul staring at him. Is something wrong? Paul asked. I'm sorry, Yui said. That was my dead wife's favorite passage. It's not the one I intended you to read. It brings up memories that are painful. There are two notches, Paul said. Of course, Yui thought. Wana marked her passage. His fingers are more sensitive than mine and found her mark. It was an accident, no more. You may find the book interesting, Yui said. It has much historical truth in it as well as good ethical philosophy. Paul looked down at the tiny book in his palm. Such a small thing, yet it contained a mystery. Something had happened while he read from it. He had felt something stir his terrible purpose. Your father will be here any minute, Yui said. Put the book away and read it at your leisure. Paul touched the edge of it as Yui had shown him. The book sealed itself. He slipped it into his tunic. For a moment there, when Yui had barked at him, Paul had feared the man would demand the book's return. I thank you for the gift, Dr. Yui, Paul said, speaking formally. It will be our secret. If there is a gift of favor you wish from me, please do not hesitate to ask. I need for nothing, Yui said. And he thought, why do I stand here torturing myself and torturing this poor lad, though he doesn't know it? Oh, yeah. damn those Harkonnen beasts. Why did they choose me for their abomination? How do we approach the study of Muad'Dib's father? A man of surpassing warmth and surprising coldness was the Duke Leto Atreides. Yet many facts open the way to this Duke. His abiding love for his Bene Gesserit lady, the dreams he held for his son, the devotion with which men served him. You see him there, a man snared by destiny, a lonely figure with his light dimmed behind the glory of his son. Still, one must ask, what is the son but an extension of the father? From Muad'Dib, Family Commentaries, by the Princess Irulan.
Paul watched his father enter the training room, saw the guards take up stations outside. One of them closed the door. As always, Paul experienced a sense of presence in his father, someone totally here. The Duke was tall, olive-skinned. His thin face held harsh angles warmed only by deep gray eyes. He wore a black working uniform with red armorial hawk crest at the breast. A silvered shield belt with the patina of much use girded his narrow waist. The Duke said, Hard at work, son? He crossed to the L table, glanced at the papers on it, swept his gaze around the room and back to Paul. He felt tired, filled with the ache of not showing his fatigue. I must use every opportunity to rest during the crossing to Arrakis, he thought. There'll be no rest on Arrakis. Not very hard, Paul said. Everything so... He shrugged. Yes, well, tomorrow we leave. It'll be good to get settled in our new home, put all this upset behind. Paul nodded, suddenly overcome by memory of the Reverend Mother's words, For the Father, nothing. Father, Paul said, will Arrakis be as dangerous as everyone says? The Duke forced himself to the casual gesture, sat down on a corner of the table, smiled. A whole pattern of conversation welled up in his mind, the kind of thing he might use to dispel the vapors in his men before a battle. The pattern froze before it could be vocalized, confronted by the single thought, This is my son. It'll be dangerous, he admitted. Howard tells me we have a plan for the Fremen, Paul said, and he wondered, why don't I tell him what that old woman said? How did she seal my tongue? The Duke noted his son's distress, said, As always, Hawat sees the main chance, but there's much more. I see also the Combine Honet Ober Advancer Mercantiles, the Chom Company. By giving me Arrakis, His Majesty is forced to give us a Chom directorship. A subtle game. Chom controls the spice, Paul said. And Arrakis with its spice is our avenue into Chom, the Duke said. There's more to Chom than melange. Did the Reverend Mother warn you? Paul blurted. He clenched his fists, feeling his palms slippery with perspiration. The effort it had taken to ask that question. Howard tells me she frightened you with warnings about Arrakis, the Duke said. Don't let a woman's fears cloud your mind. No woman wants her loved ones endangered. The hand behind those warnings was your mother's. Take this as a sign of her love for us. Does she know about the Fremen? Yes, and about much more. What? And the Duke thought, the truth could be worse than he imagines. But even dangerous facts are valuable if you've been trained to deal with them. And there's one place where nothing has been spared for my son, dealing with dangerous facts. This must be leavened, though he is young. Few products escape the Chom touch, the Duke said. Logs, donkeys, horses, cows, lumber, dung, sharks, whale fur, the most prosaic and the most exotic. 
even our poor pundi rice from Kaladan. Anything the guild will transport, the art forms of Ikaz, the machines of Riches and Ix. But all fades before Melange. A handful of spice will buy a home on Tupile. It cannot be manufactured, it must be mined on Arrakis. It is unique, and it has true geriatric properties. And now we control it, to a certain degree. But the important thing is to consider all the houses that depend on Chom profits. And think of the enormous proportion of those profits dependent upon a single product, the spice. Imagine what would happen if something should reduce spice production. Whoever had stockpiled melange could make a killing, Paul said. Others would be out in the cold. The Duke permitted himself a moment of grim satisfaction, looking at his son and thinking how penetrating, how truly educated that observation had been. He nodded. The Harkonnens have been stockpiling for more than 20 years. They mean spice production to fail and you to be blamed. They wish the Atreides name to become unpopular, the Duke said. Think of the Lancerad houses that look to me for a certain amount of leadership. They're unofficial spokesmen. Think how they'd react if I were responsible for a serious reduction in their income. After all, one's own profits come first. The great convention be damned. You can't let someone pauperize you. A harsh smile twisted the Duke's mouth. They'd look the other way no matter what was done to me. Even if we were attacked with atomics? Nothing that flagrant. No open defiance of the convention, but almost anything else short of that. Perhaps even dusting and a bit of soil poisoning. Then why are we walking into this? Paul. The Duke frowned at his son. Knowing where the trap is, that's the first step in evading it. This is like single combat, son, only on a larger scale. A feint within a feint within a feint. Seemingly without end. The task is to unravel it. Knowing that the Harkonnens stockpile melange, we ask another question. Who else is stockpiling? That's the list of our enemies. Who? Certain houses we knew were unfriendly, and some we'd thought friendly. We need not consider them for the moment, because there is one other much more important. Our beloved Padishah Emperor. Paul tried to swallow in a throat suddenly dry. Couldn't you convene the lance, Rod? Expose... Make our enemy aware we know which hand holds the knife? Ah, now, Paul, we see the knife now. Who knows where it might be shifted next? If we put this before the Lancerad, it'd only create a great cloud of confusion. The Emperor would deny it. Who could gainsay him? All we'd gain is little time while risking chaos. And where would the next attack come from? All the houses might start stockpiling spice. Our enemies have a head start, too much of a lead to overcome. The Emperor, Paul said. That means the Sardaukar. Disguised in Harkonnen livery, no doubt, the Duke said. But the soldier fanatics nonetheless. How can Fremen help us against Sardaukar? Did Howard talk to you about Seleucus Secundus? The Emperor's prison planet? No. What if it were more than a prison planet, Paul? There's a question you never hear asked about the Imperial Corps of Sardaukar. Where do they come from? From the prison planet? They come from somewhere. 
But the supporting levies the Emperor demands from that's what we're led to believe. They're just the Emperor's levies, trained, young, and superb. You hear an occasional muttering about the Emperor's training cadres, but the balance of our civilization remains the same. The military forces of the Lansrat great houses on one side, the Sardokar and their supporting levies on the other. And their supporting levies, Paul. The Sardokar remain the Sardokar. But every report on Seleucus Secundus says SS is a hell world. Undoubtedly. But if you were going to raise tough, strong, ferocious men, what environmental conditions would you impose on them? How could you win the loyalty of such men? There are proven ways. Play on the certain knowledge of their superiority, the mystique of secret covenant, the esprit of shared suffering. It can be done. It has been done on many worlds in many times. Paul nodded, holding his attention on his father's face. He felt some revelation impending. Consider Arrakis, the Duke said, when you get outside the towns and garrison villages. It's every bit as terrible a place as Seleucus Secundus. Paul's eyes went wide. The Fremen. We have there the potential of a core as strong and deadly as the Sardaukar. It'll require patience to exploit them secretly and wealth to equip them properly, but the Fremen are there. And the spice wealth is there. You see now why we walk into Arrakis, knowing the trap is there. Don't the Harkonnens know about the Fremen? The Harkonnens sneered at the Fremen, hunted them for sport, never even bothered trying to count them. We know the Harkonnen policy with planetary populations. Spend as little as possible to maintain them. The metallic threads in the hawk symbol above his father's breast glistened as the duke shifted his position. You see? We're negotiating with the Fremen right now, Paul said. I sent a mission headed by Duncan Idaho, the duke said. A proud and ruthless man, Duncan, but fond of the truth. I think the Fremen will admire him. If we're lucky, they may judge us by him, Duncan the Moral. Duncan the Moral? Paul said, and Gurney the Valorous. You name them well, the Duke said. And Paul thought, Gurney's one of those the Reverend Mother meant, a supporter of worlds. The valor of the brave. Gurney tells me you did well in weapons today, the Duke said. That isn't what he told me. The Duke laughed aloud. I figured Gurney to be sparse with his praise. He says you have a nicety of awareness, in his own words, of the difference between a blade's edge and its tip. Gurney says there's no artistry in killing with the tip, that it should be done with the edge. Gurney's a romantic, the Duke growled. This talk of killing suddenly disturbed him, coming from his son. I'd sooner you never had to kill. But if the need arises, you do it however you can, tip or edge. He looked up at the skylight on which the rain was drumming. Seeing the direction of his father's stare, Paul thought of the wet skies out there, a thing never to be seen on Arrakis from all accounts. And this thought of skies put him in mind of the space beyond. Are the guild ships really big? he asked. The Duke looked at him. This will be your first time off planet, he said. 
Yes, they're big. We'll be riding a hayliner because it's a long trip. A hayliner is truly big. Its hold will tuck all our frigates and transport into a little corner. We'll be just a small part of the ship's manifest. And we won't be able to leave our frigates? That's part of the price you pay for guild security. There could be Harkonnen ships right alongside us and we'd have nothing to fear from them. The Harkonnens know better than to endanger their shipping privileges. I'm going to watch our screens and try to see a guildsman. He won't. Not even their agents ever see a guildsman. The guild's as jealous of its privacy as it is of its monopoly. Don't do anything to endanger our shipping privileges, Paul. Do you think they hide because they've mutated and don't look human anymore? Who knows? The Duke shrugged. It's a mystery we're not likely to solve. We've more immediate problems. Among them, you. Me? Your mother wanted me to be the one to tell you, son. You see, you may have mentat capabilities. Paul stared at his father, unable to speak for a moment. Then, a mentat? Me? But I... Howard agrees, son. It's true. But I thought mentat training had to start during infancy, and the subject couldn't be told because it might inhibit the early... He broke off. All his past circumstances coming to focus in one flashing computation. I see, he said. A day comes, the Duke said, when the potential mentat must learn what's being done. It may no longer be done to him. The Mentat has to share in the choice of whether to continue or abandon the train. Some can continue, some are incapable of it. Only the potential Mentat can tell this for sure about himself. Paul rubbed his chin. All the special training from Hawat and his mother, the mnemonics, the focusing of awareness, the muscle control and sharpening of sensitivities, the study of languages and nuances of voices, all of it clicked into a new kind of understanding in his mind. You'll be the Duke someday, son, his father said. A Mentat Duke would be formidable indeed. Can you decide now, or do you need more time? There was no hesitation in his answer. I'll go on with the training. Formidable indeed, the Duke murmured, and Paul saw the proud smile on his father's face. The smile shocked Paul. It had a skull look on the Duke's narrow features. Paul closed his eyes, feeling the terrible purpose reawaken within him. Perhaps being a mentat is terrible purpose, he thought. But even as he focused on this thought, his new awareness denied it. Sisters, that was June Disc 2, Meeting Wave Live, Audio Book Club. 
special event, special rendition, special mix, special duck. Come. What? Make some noise, M-A-Z. Everybody enjoy that. What up, Timothy Delgado? Thank you, baby. Says spinning and splashing. Hey, appreciate you, baby. What up, Mike B? Appreciate you, baby. What up, FL Space Bear? Appreciate you. Yo, going deep. Not D U N E. Meaning Wave Book Club. Feels like it works. Feels like it's uh, an epic activity in 2020 and beyond, you know? Wow. What up, Lauren Shepard? Says epic stuff in the Dune Lord. Bless up, Lauren Shepard. Shouts out to everybody loads in. Live and across space and time on the Rewind. Yo. John McGarvey says, great stream tonight. Keep the club. Gustavo Gomez says, yes, God bless. Yeah, you know this experimental thing? Tried it last week. And uh, it went surprisingly well. So I thought, okay, we'll try that again. Surprisingly well again. I mean, you know, it's an activity that is uh, fraught with danger. It could, like, any second, you could really fuck it up. But uh, that went rather nicely, I think. I rather enjoyed that. I think I would enjoy listening to it if I wasn't me, you know? And uh, that's the point of thing. Uh, Chris Olin says, Our meaning book Wednesday is going to be a regular thing. Please say yes. As always, baby, if it's, it's down to you, you know? If you guys are enjoying it, and, uh, you know... It's a worthwhile endeavor, then. Then uh, I don't see why not. I gotta say, I'm enjoying doing it. I'm very much enjoying doing it. And uh, the potential I see is vast, you know. I see a vast potential. And, um. Yeah, you know. What up, Multiverse Media Space says, Love others as you often get to love yourselves. Hey, thank you, Multiverse Media Space. Tommy Bo says, We love Akira. Keep at it, baby. Meaning wave A. Hey, we love you, Tommy Bo. Bless up. Let's get it. Yo, look at these things splashing across the screen. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. Hey. Yeah, well, you know, that was cool. I enjoyed that. And uh, I know what you guys think. Do you want more book club? Let me know. More book club or not? Out there. Out there. Out there. Out there. Out there. Owen Smith wants more book club. Adam Page wants more book club. Calais wants more book club. Robert Easley wants more book club, please. 
Golin Didier says for sure, for sure. What a pleasing name that is to say, Golin Didier. Golin Didier, out there among the stars, Golin Didier. Out there among the stars, Golin Didier, Golin Didier, Golin Didier. Out there among the stars. Michael in Seattle wants to know disc three when? YouTube Hero Alex says yes. Stronghill 128 says 100. Cindy Bailey wants more Maz Book Club. John McGarvey says more, more, more. More, more, more. Jason Fortune dropping wave emojis like a G. Yo, shouts out to you. Yeah, Golden Didier says ha, ha, ha. Golden Didier says ha, ha, ha. Golden Didier says ha, 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 ha. Uh, Stronghill 28 says, where can I find that book? What, Dune? I suspect you'd find Dune in any bookstore. Timothy Delgasso says, sick. James Esparraza says, I make digital art for Dune to this book club. We need more. What, you make digital art for Dune to this book club? That sounds cool. Send me some. Uh, maybe we could use it in uh, one of the videos or a thumbnail or something. I don't know. Yo, Calais is in the house. 207 Stuck Sex 5 is in the house. Let's keep it going. We're going to keep going. Full Killer 364444 says Splash Splash Wave Wave Wave. Ryan Vanderhoek says even better than last time. Chris is telling Strunkle28 uh, the book is Dune by Frank Herbert. Oh, didn't we mention that? Did I not mention that? Did I not mention that? Dune by Frank Herbert? I think I did. Cocklord35. <laughs> I read that wrong. There's a Q. CQC Lord, not Cocklord at all. It's Kukukukuk. I don't know what that is. Don't blame me. Uh, it says, keep it going, baby. Lauren Shepard says, fire up the thrusters. Full time warp drive book club intensify. Sounds like a euphemism. Clumsy K, what's up? Thank you for the support, baby. Says the first rule of book club. Tell your friends about book club. Vast potential MAZ. I think you're right. Chris says, I'm all in for book club. Calais says, got kitchen clean and food prep to this fantastic stream. Yeah, feels like it works. Are you work here? Says, when is part three? Well, I guess, you know, we did this last, uh, what day is it? Wednesday? Is it Wednesday? We did part one last Wednesday. We did disc two this Wednesday. So I guess we'll do it on Wednesdays. How does that sound? How's that sound? Wednesday night book club. Wednesday night book club. Out there among the book club. I guess we could have a second book club on the meet on the morning show with a different book if we wanted to get through more books. Huh. Huh. So much potential. The winter session says, "I wish I could find this version and not the full cast." Yeah, this is the nine, I believe 1991 version. I believe it was. Uh, what up, Golin Didier? My favorite name of the day. Kaching! Thank you for the support, Golin Didier. You're very much appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Out there among the stars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Out there among the stars. What a lovely lovely record that is. What a lovely record. So what do you reckon? Uh, Book Club on Wednesdays? What do you think, gang? Uh, Yulani Rosario says, More Book Club. Great vibes. Book Club. Feels like it works. 
Book club, book club. Book club. It's a book club. Yeah. Uh, YouTube Hero Alex says poll results. We got some poll results. Oh, yeah, there was a poll going. So we were having a poll. Poll, poll. I, don't, I honestly do not know how to pronounce it. Someone let me know. Is it poll or poll? I honestly don't know. Ooh, um, I don't. Kalei says, love it. Wednesday book club. Rincindy Cindy Bailey says, on Wednesdays, we read books. Sounds pretty cool. I mean, you know, Meaning Wave University is, uh, you know, being constructed. Could be a good part of Meaning Wave University, you know. Kev Sturz says, uh, hump day book club. Cindy Bailey says, poll, poll. She thinks that's how you pronounce it. You pronounce poll, poll. I mean, I don't know. I feel a bit weird saying poll because, you know, that's part, part of my ancestry is the Polish, you know. And, uh, I mean, there's, you know, pole, you, you climb a pole, you know, but I guess you could be right. Uh, multiple people are saying pole is the pronunciation of pole. By Jove, I've been saying pole my whole life. Uh, James Esparza says, uh, I already sent some art and uploaded it to all my minds and King James on minds. Uh, where did you send it? Where did you send it to? Uh, I don't go on Mines. I should go on Mines. I should have a look at it. Uh, the guy who ran Mines sent me an email. I, I need to get back to him. Um, yeah. Cindy Bailey, Jinx Alex. Straw poll results. Let's see. Uh, some people voted. I don't know if there's enough people for it to be scientific. How many people voted? What, like 30 or something? Um, what was it? Yes, let's see it. 18. No, keep it a surprise. 17. Oh, boom. Uh, well, there you go. There you go. Uh, it looks like uh, the vote has been voted. People want to see. Uh, people want to see the What's Wave vinyl. That's what the poll was for. Uh, can we see the What's Wave vinyl? Excuse me, or not? Uh, so I guess it's yeah. Uh, so I guess we can do that tomorrow. Tomorrow is our 200th stream. A little reveal of uh, the What's Wave vinyl on there. Sounds cool. Sounds good, baby. Uh, Deluxe says, Akira, keep that pole tucked. Uh, that's my belt. You know, that's my belt. I, you know what I mean? I've got I to use something to keep these uh, fine blue suit trousers up. Uh, James Esparza says, I sent it to the YouTube email. What YouTube email? I didn't know I had what YouTube email. Uh, send it to wecare at meaningwave.com. Send it to wecare at meaningwave.com. Yeah, I'd see that. Well, Mama doesn't see that, and then she'd show it to me. She's very vigilant with the email, you know. Uh, YouTube Hero Alex says, that's a good idea. What, uh, using, your, using your pole to hold your trousers up? Yeah. Uh, walking Mall Poet, so close. Well, the reveal is going to be exciting. Yeah, well, we'll work it out. I mean, I don't, maybe we won't show too much. But this, I mean, this, you know, it's really, really epically beautiful, i got to say. It's incredible. It's, uh, it's a, a work of art. It's a real work of art, you know. An absolute magnificent work of art. Hey, I guess we could have a couple of art reveals tomorrow. Yeah, why not? All right, let's do that. Let's do that. It's a plan, gang. Uh, tomorrow, we're celebrating 200 streams, and uh, we can have a little bit, little bit of sneaky-peaky at the uh, beautiful What's Wave vinyl. That would be nice. And we can have ourselves a little party. How about that? We can have a party. Maybe we could have a call-in, huh? Who wants to call in? Would anyone like to call in and say hi? Could have a call in, maybe? I don't know. We'll see. 
Uh, Gustavo Gomez says, maybe post vinyl and Instagram with options to swipe if you want to see it. <laughs> Could do that. Or, you know, if I put it on screen, I'll give you a warning. You can close your eyes. How about that? You can close your eyes. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Bo says, I remember I heard you say that in the future and present, we'll have a soundtrack for our daily lives. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. That's what a part of what I'm working on, I guess. Well, not guess, I am. But yeah, in the future, you know, you will. Uh, there'll be such a thing as a selfie drone. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's one way of thinking about it is a selfie drone. Another way of thinking about it is kind of a familiar, uh, a sort of pet. Uh, there'll be some, somewhere between a hologram and a robot that will follow you around and it'll do a bunch of stuff. Uh, it will film you from every angle possible. You know, if you ever want to rewind anything that happened, it'll just rewind it for you. And it'll follow you around and it'll film you from every angle possible and it'll be live streaming you at all times if you want that and not if you don't, I suppose. And um, it'll record everything, it'll tell everything. It'll be able to do things for you, it'll be able to fetch things for you, pick things up for you, move things around, stuff of that nature, you know. And it will also be broadcasting constant, uh, a constant soundtrack for you. Uh, there'll be a constant soundtrack being broadcast for you. Whatever vibes it is you want. And uh, you'll pick curators to curate the vibe for your life you know and you'll walk into the park and it'll start playing a certain kind of music and things of that nature you'll have a visual curation going on as well you know the walls of your house will will change to show different visages and images a little like my spaceship you know a little like this you know that'll be oh the, today we want cosmos walls today we want uh, beautiful four walls all that sort of thing you know your world will be curated visually and audibly, audibly. and uh yeah, that's all coming up pretty soon. Stronghold 28 says there was a movie based on that. What was that movie? What was that movie, Stronghold 28? Uh, John Grady said this is like the Black Mirror episode where people can rewatch memories recorded through their own eyes. Yeah, I mean, that will happen, but, you know, through your own eyes is weird because, you know, whenever you see video uh, from the, that point of view, it always seems weird. You know, like uh, that music video where you got it from the point of view of the guy and he's running across a roof and all that sort of thing. So people won't want that. What people will actually want is, you know, different vantage points and they want to see themselves in the left, in the front, from the right. They want to remember things in a more cinematic fashion. You know, in Red Dead Redemption, you've got the cinema cam. You can press that and you can watch your guy riding on his horse from all these different vantage points. I guess it'll be a bit like that. And uh, you'll actually be able to experience your life that way if you so wish. And people will start getting into that. You know, so currently you view from here. But people will start choosing to view life from uh, other angles and other directions. And it'll be a bit like... Uh, I mean, my uncle got into this, that out-of-body stuff, right? Astral projection and all that sort of thing. Like, that's the thing that people do. My uncle got quite into it, you know. He actually projected his ass all the way down to the post office. You know, you could see what was going on all over the place. And, uh, so it'll be like a combination of that. Um... Why are we even talking about this? I, even, I can't remember why we're talking about this now. But that's coming, yeah. That's coming. Selfie drone or golem or familiar or sprite, whatever you want to call it. Essentially like a robot digital pet that will uh, do loads of your shit for you. And yeah, 24-7 soundtracking visualization of your entire life uh, going on. But yeah, we're in the early stages of that shit, baby. <laughs> what up, Lauren Shepard says, broke struggles. What's going on with you? Uh, Chris, uh, Chris says work of art as LP cover should be that's right yeah 
Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. MAC, I'm so excited. And uh, yeah, it's really nice. Also, I'm very excited for this book club. How nice to have a book club, you know? What a lovely thing to have, a book club. So yeah, I think since you guys seem to like it, we'll, we'll, be, we'll come back uh, next Wednesday. Is uh, once a week enough for the book club? Is that uh, going to be going through the books quick enough for you? Uh, John Grady says, Broke struggles equals we aren't able to support Meanie Wave at the moment. Lost our emojis. Who's we? What, you, and, you and Lauren Shepard or uh, just you, John Grady? Um, but don't worry about that. There's lots of important things to focus on in this, in this lifetime. You know? Uh, Tommy Bow says, sounds good. Savage Chill says, that sounds like a fun Wednesday event. Uh, Walking Mall Poet says, I wish we could gift subs on YouTube like you can on Twitch. Yeah, that's true. You can do that on Twitch. Twitch is a very loving and giving place. Uh, Kalei says, you're emojiing in spirit. Look, your presence is a present. Your presence is a present. Lauren Shepard and John Grady and everybody else here. Just contributing to the chat is a beautiful thing. Not everybody does that, you know. Most people don't. You know, your very, very presence here is the thing of beauty, and uh, we're all very appreciative of it. So shout out to everyone who's here. Shout out to everyone who contributes in any way, shape, or form with their energy, with their uh, conversation, with their fine ideas, uh, with their anything, whatever it is. Shout out to everyone who supports financially, of course. Gordon Didier, thank you for the super chat. Thank you, Clumsy K. Thank you, Tommy Bow. Thank you, Multiverse Media Space. Thank you, Chris Olin. Thank you, Timothy Delgato. Thank you, Mike B and FL Space Bear and Luke. And of course, Timothy Delgato, who kicked it off. So thank you, guys. You're very much appreciated. If you want to support The Wave, you can become a member of the channel. Uh, you can become a member of the Patreon. You can go to Bandcamp and download the music, and you go to MeanyWave.com, and you can get the epic merch collections. You can get the new JBP Wave Genesis collection with the cover work of JVB, JBP Wave Genesis, the Jordan Peterson classic album. The beautiful cover of that. It's all purple. Him in front of a big planet. Um, it's very epic. Uh, we have, you know, there's a, a thong, you know. It's very nice. You can wear it on your face if you have to get in a cab. And uh, they require thongs on the faces for the cab, you know. We've got all that going on. We've got an MAZ t-shirt. We've got all sorts of wonderful things in the shop. Go check out the shop. Shop! MeanieWaves.com. Hey, it's nearly Christmas. You should probably go Christmas shopping. Get after it. And, uh, you know, you can do all that. But, of course, the most important thing you can do, brothers and sisters, the most important thing you can do is spread the good word and let the people know Meaning Wave exists. By Jove, Meaning Wave exists. That's the most important thing you can do. And uh, whether you do that by drawing a nice big picture or sticking it up in the bus stop or uh, printing off loads of little postcards and uh, putting them up inside a telephone box uh, like hookers used to do in the 90s, you know. Uh, there's many, many things you can do. To spread the beautiful word of Meaning Wave. Why, you could just, uh, you know, spend half an hour sat on the toilet uh, spamming people's comment th threads on Instagram. You know? <laughs> Go crazy with your imagination, brothers and sisters. That's right, John Grady. Meaning Wave exists. Scream it at the, from the mountaintop. From the mountaintop. That's a good thing you could do. You could climb up a mountain and then scream Meaning Wave exists from the top of it. Film yourself doing it and send it to me. Uh, I need things to post on the Instagram. <laughs> You know, I need, I need things to post on the Instagram. Uh, I don't have uh, anyone running the, uh, you know, Meaning Wave socials anymore. Um, so, you know, we need stuff to post, baby. It doesn't take me too long, by Joe, because I'm busy making albums. Uh, we'll be here tomorrow morning on Twitch, uh, 7 a.m. CT. Uh, Akira the Don on Twitch. Get over there. We'll be here tomorrow morning. 
Uh, I think we're going to be quite high energy tomorrow morning. I've got a feeling. I'm combating a cold right now. And, I, and I, the last two days on Twitch, we've had a really beautiful sort of autumnal full lo-fi sets. They've been very nice. But I think tomorrow I might need to, like, kick it up the dick a bit, you know? Uh, so to speak. In a manner of speaking, you know? What, what, what? Um... So yeah, time for the international high five. I don't know if we actually did the high five. Did we or not? I can't remember. I meant to. I certainly started the process. But who knows, anyway. Uh, thank you all for being here. This was very enjoyable, and I look forward to doing it again with you. And I look forward to celebrating 200 streams with you tomorrow night. And I look forward to having a joyful Meaning Wave morning show with you tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. CT. Uh, so thank you all once again for being here, you beautiful, beautiful creatures. And uh, let's have that by five. Good. Ooh, that was a good noise thing. Three, two, one. Yeah, you see that? Like the back went back. The, the one hand went. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Nice, nice. Bless up, brothers and sisters. Go forth, be nicey. And if you want to carry on hanging out, you can go to the Discord. Uh, or you can go to Meaning Wave Radio 24-7 on the second channel. God bless you. Sweet dreams.